Hi, and welcome to our latest video podcast. I'm Robert Campbell here in our New York office. And with me today is Raul Alcamal, our head of oil refining based out of London. Raul is going to walk us through our views on refining margins and where things stand here as the market transitions from pandemic-related lockdowns to a renewal of demand growth amid what I would say, and I think Raul would agree, a lot of unfinished business on refinery capacity changes. Raul, thanks for joining us. What, what do you see here as the most important uh, development for refiners going forward in this environment? Yeah, I will start with uh, what we said, uh, if I remember well, was December last year, and uh, you introduced uh, maybe in the best way, talking about unfinished business, and uh, is what hasn't been yet done by uh, most of the refinery in the weakest point uh, in terms of margin. Uh, for the rationalization of their uh, of their assets, uh, we said that U.S. Uh, mainly uh, has probably went towards the right direction, uh, shutting down uh, and rationalizing uh, um, something like uh, eight hundred thousand barrels marginally more, eight hundred thousand barrels of refining capacity between uh, last year and this year, while uh, Europe uh, is still lagging behind. And in, in our uh, database, uh, we are aware about uh, a bit less than 500,000 barrel a day of refining capacity that will be um, removed from the availability between this year and, uh, and, the, next, uh, and the next year. So definitely, uh, this remains the most important point because uh, despite uh, the recovery of the, the demand, uh, that is a relative recovery uh, compared to what was the, the lowest reached uh, last year, we are still uh, much lower than 2019 and 2018. So we are back uh, uh, in the past for uh, almost uh, four years. And at the same time, uh, in, the, in Asia Pacific and generically in East of Suez, uh, uh, we have been installing uh, an average of uh, 400,000 barrel a day of refining capacity since 2017. So those numbers, the, the product demand, and we will go to the crude supply soon, the product demand and the capability that the assets in uh, in the main three region, uh, North America, Europe, and Asia, the capability that refining has uh, to produce and to offset, to satisfy this main product demand, is, uh, is massive, is huge. We are talking about uh, to, uh, taking into account all the nuclear capacity, almost 20 million barrel a day of refining capacity that is unnecessary. Uh, if you factor uh, the maintenance and the offset that you generically have, we are uh, still at 10, 12 million barrel of refining capacity that clearly could go offline. Uh, and maybe only at that time we will see um, an effect on the margins. As long as this doesn't happen, as long as uh, there is not uh, a strong effort on uh, rationalizing, rationalizing this capacity, uh, we will see the refining sector uh, in the middle uh, between uh, uh, the demand of products and any strength coming from the demand of product that will be um, unavoidably uh, transferred to the, to the crude prices and to the crude cost. Yeah, I mean, the, the big challenge here really for a lot of, you know, European refiners is that they're being squeezed on both ends. You know, they're squeezed on the crude side, as you mentioned, uh, you know, because OPEC is far more 
successful than they have been in the past at, at controlling the price. Uh, we also have this stronger demand from Asia Pacific for Atlantic Basin crudes. And at the same time, on the product side, though, you know, there hasn't really been much of a reaction in margins. Um, you know, if, if anything, it's noteworthy that since the freeze-offs in Texas, refining margins have not really improved significantly, despite the huge losses of uh, product inventory. Uh, yeah, the, um, the, again, the main point is uh, that the refining sector, in in the end, uh, is in the middle uh, between these two uh, forces uh, that are. Uh, basically not caring uh, about the, the difficulties that the refinery have to uh, supply the, the crude to the assets and don't have any problem on producing the main product, the main products. Um, at the same time, uh, and you mentioned the margins, uh, that uh, is pretty obvious, of course, is a combination of uh, the main product cracks. In the past, uh, you had uh, uh, in Europe, uh, the distillate cracks that were uh, performing and offsetting the weakness uh, of uh, mainly the fuel and the NAFTA cracks. And in US, uh, you had the gasoline cracks doing the same, uh, the same job. And uh, when the gasoline cracks needed uh, to attract uh, uh, gasoline molecules from, uh, from Europe to US, the, the gasoline price didn't need to offset uh, the negative margin that Europe had, so you had uh, the, the two strong, uh, the two strongest um, products uh, uh, produced by the assets uh, that were doing the job uh, to incentivize the runs. While uh, today uh, it seems that excess of capacity uh, is creating a so weak margin. And I saw we cracks on the on these two main elements uh, that in the end uh, the the game and the drivers uh, that used to be the, the main drivers for the refinery uh, runs uh, and for the refinery decision for the refinery optimization uh, in the past just a couple of years ago are not longer uh, uh, the drivers uh, for uh, such uh, factors and these in a, in a in an environment uh, where the configuration of the assets basically hasn't changed. So especially European refinery, and I would say marginally also the US refinery, are uh, now in a, in a different game where they used to uh, optimize and change uh, marginally or drastically the configuration of the refinery in function of the distillate cracks and in function of the gasoline cracks and marginally uh, driven by fuel and after cracks, while uh, today it seems uh, that they have to run uh, constantly at level of uh, distillate cracks that in the past uh, would have been perceived uh, as uh, extremely extremely low and would have been perceived uh, more than perceived would have been actually be levels that could not justify the the presence of the refinery. Uh, is still uh, a last man standing uh, game play where uh, refinery not announcing a sh complete shutdown are internally trying to cast to cut the fixed cost uh, that are not covered by these uh, these weak cracks. At the same time, you have um, uh, Asia Pacific uh, that is likely uh, playing a different game. Uh, driven by other uh, incentives. Uh, we mentioned in the past uh, that most of the capacity 
in, that has been recently installed in China has been done to transform the heavy barrels, so the fuel and heavy crudes, uh, into the petrochemicals. So the, the for, for, uh, for this kind of asset, uh, the, the production of distillate, for example, is, can be seen as a, as a sort of byproducts and is not so relevant uh, if the value of this distillate has to be kept down to, to allow the flow of uh, distillate molecules from east of Suez to west of Suez uh, region. And uh, in this dichotomy of um, two different drivers uh, where uh, the, uh, the biggest amount of capacity, the biggest amount of production and therefore the biggest amount of demand is clearly in, uh, in, in Asia and uh, in generically in east of Suez uh, regions. Uh, the only thing that the smaller uh, demand the smaller uh, capacity in Europe can do is to adequate itself uh, to this new uh, game uh, to these new uh, fundamentals for the refining sector and uh, in a way it has been unexpected and not necessarily all the um, the teams that are managing the refinery all the management of uh, the refinery can find easily a different way to, to optimize and to assess and to reconfigure their own refineries. So this for me is the main challenge that of course at the moment is not helped by neither by the margins that are weak nor by the, the flat price that is also weighing on the, on the refinery in terms of financial cost. Because uh, if uh, just a few months ago uh, refinery could run uh, their asset uh, spending and, and um, utilizing a working capital uh, of a certain amount in function of their throughput and their inventory in uh, in a couple of uh, in few weeks in a couple of months uh, the same refinery is forced to, to utilize uh, 200 300 million dollar more just for the increasing of the flat price See, this is an extra requirement of uh, capital uh, that will not have any return, any extra return on the investment uh, in a scenario where it's already difficult for the management of the refinery to ask for money for maintenance, to ask for money for investment. Uh, these are money that will be asked uh, without justifying any uh, ROI. And uh, in a simple way, of course, the solution, the possibility are many, but in a simple way, the only thing that you can do to, to tackle this problem uh, in the short term without uh, asking too much uh, financial uh, effort to your company is to reduce the runs and reduce the inventory. But this will weigh even more on the efficiency of the, of the refinery that will do this. A problem that, uh, for uh, for other reason, is not a problem uh, that Asian assets will have. Right. I mean, it, it was interesting. We got so many uh, questions about you know whether the the end of refinery rationalization has come. You know, now that the, once the Texas freeze boosted gasoline cracks, but you know when you speak to a lot of gasoline refiners, they'll say, well, what boost? Most of this is going to RINs. Uh, you know, export refiners are still struggling with their economics, and if the local market is not absorbing the product effectively, it's a very challenging market to be in. So, um, do you expect to see more closures this year, or is, is this a process that's going to take a lot longer to, to play out? 
um, yeah, we have to be honest. Uh, we said uh, that uh, Q1 is not ended yet. Uh, we said uh, that if this weakness in the margin uh, would have uh, kept going, uh, uh, likely um, after the first the first quarter of this year, we would have seen uh, um, announcement of closure. Uh, I think maybe we have been a bit wrong on this. We thought it would have been faster. Europe uh, is still uh, slow and resilient uh, on doing this. And most probably, most of this rationalization will not be announced uh, as closure, but you will have uh, uh, the refinery reconfigured in a way where uh, some of the units, uh, especially the one, for example, that are treating isofluorofuel oil in an environment where the crude's late, has been moved towards the sweet grades to be able to produce more values of fuel oil in Europe. Uh, this rationalization will be hidden by the fact that can be realized by simply uh, closing or not, not utilizing a portion of the refinery. Uh, we still believe uh, this is unavoidable uh, because the numbers are uh, simply telling us uh, that there is no enough uh, raw material for everyone and uh, with Asia willing to to export uh, towards uh, West uh, their distillate production, uh, I don't want to say at any price, but they've been proven that at $4 a barrel is not a big issue. Uh, this remains unavoidable and uh, it cannot be not done uh, in 2021. Um, a point that you mentioned, uh, in the question that for me is important, you mentioned the RINs, uh, and uh, maybe in Europe uh, equivalent to the RINs is the is the CO two price. Uh, um, in the end, uh, is it the RINs and the CO two price is playing the same role of the crudes to be able to satisfy the demand, to be able to transform the crude uh, through the refining process. Uh, all this cost, uh, all the um, money all the cash flow provided by the demand is ultimately ending in the crude supply to the crude supplier to the rings and to the co2 as well so you have elements that in the past were not present uh, that are eroding uh, much more uh, the refining margin um, so looking at the cracks uh, is it might be misleading already weak cracks but even stronger cracks like um, uh, an $18 a barrel in US uh, is not actually what a refinery can get because the, the amount of cost and the amount of uh, type of cost that are behind uh, this uh, added value that a refinery can, do, can add to the crude are increasing in number and in magnitude. Yeah, in some ways, it's just as if the energy costs, you know, your natural gas cost or, or electricity had gone up, and it's just a, it's just the cost of doing business is the cost of these biofuels or CO2 credits. And, and you know, the, whatever the margin is, is either going to cover that or it doesn't. And if it doesn't cover it, well, you have to find a way to raise prices in a, in, a, in an environment where you can't really raise prices. Yeah, and in fact, it seems that, uh, as usually, when those costs happened uh, during, uh, for example, a change in the specification, uh, those costs uh, has been transferred to the uh, to the end user to the final demand and uh, uh, in the period between uh, 2014 up to 2018 also part of these costs were transferred uh, to the weak cost to the weak price of crude uh, but today is is clearly not the case uh, the end user demand uh, is not willing to pay that 
and uh, and the crude supplier uh, are, are doing a great job uh, to try to optimize uh, their uh, portion of the cake. But I mean, isn't isn't that really a function of excess capacity? The reason why a lot of refiners have not been able to pass on these costs completely is just there's too many refiners. Yeah, in the end, in the end, is definitely a question of uh, refining capacity. I would say is is only a question of refining capacity, and uh, is also um, a question of the fact that the granularity of the refining system uh, is uh, much bigger uh, than, for example, when compared to the granularity of the crude supply, where you have uh, much less player uh, that can uh, internally optimize uh, their production. If we are talking about crude production, while uh, in the refinery world, uh, this granularity doesn't allow the the many players uh, to uh, to optimize internally, and uh, each of them is trying to to survive. Um, I said in the past uh, that if you take some reality, uh, if they close their refinery, so we are not talking about the major, of course. If you close their refinery, basically, is closing their business. They don't have. Uh, they are not integrated. They don't have uh, upstream or downstream. So, is uh, is simply closing the business and uh, retiring. Uh, so I would say that of course ninety five percent of the problem is uh, the capacity. Uh, the small a small portion is due to the fact that any new investment uh, is done uh, hoping uh, that you will replace uh, uh, the existing refinery and uh, the weakest one while uh, the, the refining sector has proven uh, to be very resilient uh, and to be able uh, to survive for years uh, because this is not the first time uh, the refining sector had bad margins even if it's not so so low uh, and it proved in the past that it could survive uh, for uh, for years uh, without actually uh, even thinking about or investing in a change that once it started, uh, in theory, it goes ahead and it cannot be stopped. Um, so I would say that one, if if the father of the problem is the capacity, the mother is the fact that uh, uh, refinery is not so flexible and uh, is always hoping for a better day in the future, and he doesn't want to uh, to prompt react. Uh, uh, especially in Europe, uh, to prompt react to a weak situation like the one we are uh, facing in the last two years. We've got time for one more question. So I, I would just say, what would you, I mean, we focus a lot on the marginal players, like one of these guys going to die. Uh, but I think in some ways the more interesting question is, well, what do you expect the second tier players to do in this environment? You know, the, the companies that are maybe not the, there's, a, there's clearly a, a certain category of refineries, the big integrated ones with lots of pet chems that will survive, uh, that, are, that have no, uh, without a question. There's a second tier that will also are superior to the worst performing refineries, but which are also struggling a lot more. So that's what I find interesting, is what, what kind of behavior do you expect from, from the second tier players? It um, depends a lot, and, and we also talked in the past about that, uh, um, depends a lot of, about their uh, um, geographical location. Uh, if they can have uh, um, a market advantage that can be exploited, uh, uh, while maybe in the past uh, this couldn't be justified uh, because of uh, uh, 
was not so important and uh, the market was not asking for this kind of investment. Um, I'm mainly talking, for example, about the inland refinery. Uh, you might have uh, this secondary tier that will be specialized in the production of uh, the specific product that is requested by the demand of the location where they are. And another, uh, and this more brainstorming, uh, another uh, potential uh, thing is that uh, if you have access and the possibility to invest money to move towards uh, what is called energy transition, uh, that for, uh, for refinery will be able uh, to transform the oil, not only in road fuels, but uh, in electricity in a sustainable uh, way for the environment. Maybe it's too early to talk about carbon capture for, uh, for a refinery. It's still uh, um, a process very expensive and not so efficient. Uh, but if the time that the system will take to rationalize uh, the capacity is long enough, you might have a huge cost reduction for this technology. And this might be the, the direction that some of these second tier refinery could take, especially because it can be described, they can be presented uh, to the public opinion as uh, um, advancing uh, towards this energy transition and will be, of course, well supported. That's all the time we have, but that's very helpful and very interesting. Thank you, Raul, and thanks to our audience for joining us. Thank you.